0: Good afternoon everyone. Really good to see you. Some of you haven't seen for some time and uh, you're all looking remarkably well. It's really lovely to welcome you and I know for the folks who are at home watching again today, especially those folks who haven't yet managed to make it to your Sunday, we've got section D, pastoral group D next Sunday. So if you're in Tommy Patterson or in Brian Anderson's pastoral group, Elder Wise, we look forward to welcoming you along next Sunday. You'll either have had a phone call or we'll get a phone call in the next few days about that. So we're really looking forward to having our final group together next Sunday. And hopefully that will mean we'll have seen almost everyone who would normally be with us on our worship services on a Lord's Day. We're going to turn together to God's Word. We're going to turn again to Ephesians. It's incredible that this book has kept us going all the way through lockdown. And I think it's really appropriate that we're coming towards the end of it during these particular weeks. And we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 10 to 17. Ephesians chapter 6 from verses 10 to 17. And once I've read it, please do keep that open, whether it be in your phone or your Bible in front of you, as we focus in on two verses in particular today. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Which is the Word of God. And we're going to focus in on verses 15 and 16 today. So let me read those two verses with us again. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You can do it in here and you can do it at home. Hands up if you've ever had your feet measured. On, hands up if you've ever had your feet measured for any particular reason. Great. I'm not going to ask you what shoe size you are, but I'm sure we've got quite a range of shoe sizes and widths and so on around the room here today and at home also. And for those of you who bought school shoes recently, I am quite sure there are some of you and mums and dads or even grand can hardly believe that you only bought your shoes in August and already you're saying they're a bit tight, they're rubbing at the back. Oh, I think I've grown out of these. That always seems to happen. I can think back to my third year at school, and my mum and dad had bought me the trendiest pair of shoes. Well, I chose them. It was my fault in the shoe shop. Everyone else was wearing them, and I had this pair of what I thought looked really great shoes. Problem was, they were no good for playing football in at lunchtimes. They rubbed at the back, and they were so uncomfortable when you were trying to kick a tennis ball around the tennis courts, as we were only allowed to do for football at lunchtimes. So I came up with an ingenious scheme. I dug out my old pair of shoes, which we had just put in the bin, and I put them at the bottom of my new school bag. And every day as I walked a mile and a half to school through the estate where I lived, I changed my shoes to put on the old, grubby, scuffed, comfortable shoes, and put the trending ones in my school bag. And every day on the way home, I brought out the new school shoes, rubbed them on the pavement somewhere along the way, and left them to make it look as if I had been wearing them. That wasn't a very good thing to do. But I know, especially whenever I've been to weddings in the past, how many ladies feel exactly the same. By the time it gets to nine o'clock at night, they're saying, oh, I'm dying in these shoes. They're rubbing up against the back. Oh, I wish it. And how many ladies now actually bring a spare pair of shoes to a wedding, to an evening do? Ill-fitting boots, ill-fitting trainers are a real pain. And if that's an issue for us, think how much more important it is if you're a soldier. A soldier who's required not to sit in a tank or sit at the desk, but travel hundreds of miles across an empire. That's what Paul has in mind about shoes that fit well to the Roman soldier who traveled very far on foot. I'm going to leave you two things to remember today, and they rhyme, so they hopefully should stick in your minds. The first one is based in verse 15, and it's this. It's on the screen now. If we wear the right shoes, they will enable us to stand or run with the good news. Let me say it again. If we wear the right shoes, they will enable us to stand or run with the good news. You see, in and around these verses are so many uses of the word stand. If you've got your Bible open, run with me through these words, okay? Verse 11 Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when then evil comes, you can stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. Still get your Bibles open, it's helpful. Verse 14. Stand firm then. Paul knows how important it was for the Roman soldier to stand to hold his ground in the face of the enemy when the battle's approaching. Stand your ground, the command would have come. Stand your ground. Don't slip. Don't fall behind. And that's why the Romans had these individually fitted, huge leather-strapped shoes that went all the way up to their knees and cork soles that were almost the equivalent of what we call hobnailed boots today. They were nailed firmly together to enable them to march hundreds of miles without feeling uncomfortable. Roman soldiers had special boots that enabled them to stand in the face of a battle. And the Roman soldiers weren't marching in sandals. You know, you turn up to the average nativity play at Christmas, and most of the kids here, the Roman soldiers have these flimsy wee flip-flops or sandals on that they've dug out from the summertime. Not a bit of it. Roman soldier shoes were boots. The best boots fitted individually for each one so they could stand. War boots and Paul knows that the Christian needs similar kind of boots. Paul wants his friends in Ephesus to be able to stand in the face of battle, to stand when we're facing the foe. And he longs that individual believers, Christians in first century Rome, and for us in 21st century Macrophil, are enabled to stand firm in our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. Not to be shifted in our trust in the gospel, described here, verse 15, do you see it? Described as the gospel of peace. Now, the word gospel, many of us know, simply means good news. It was originally used in the ancient world when a town or city was receiving the news back that, that their king had conquered in battle. And there would be people standing along the roadside, waving and shouting. There'd be trumpeters blowing a fanfare. And it was called, as the king entered, There were gospeling. They were good newsing. They were excited that the victory's already been won. Our king has conquered. And as we step out each day, before we stride on in our own confidence and stumble and fall, before we get moving and mobile, we are to put on what Paul describes here as gospel shoes. And these shoes are just the right size for us, just like we all have individually fitted feet and shoes. We've all got different shoe sizes, We have all got gospel shoes that are individually fitted for us. What do I mean? They're personal gifts from our generous commander. The gospel of peace is for you. Reminding us that as Christians, the most important hostility that this world has ever known is over. The war between God and man is over if we're trusting in Jesus Christ. No longer are we his enemies, but through Christ's blood through Christ's righteousness, through his death on the cross on our behalf, we are now at peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible word that we use for that is reconciled. We were once enemies, but now through Jesus, we are now part of his family, his friends. We're in his army. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Paul's already described exactly how that looks. Ephesians 2, verse 13 and 14. If you want to flick back a couple of pages, it says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. We can only have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Jesus is the one who enters the sinner's place in order to draw us back to God. The blood of Christ is poured out, and our trusting in his sacrifice for salvation brings us peace with God. So what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying here, strap that on each day. It's essential that you strap that on each day before you stride out. It assures us that whatever happens, whatever kind of day we have, wherever our feet take us, literally where our feet take us, we are standing at peace with God because of Jesus. We walk out in His shoes that are fitted personally. For you and for me as sinners, we have a Savior who fits us out. Protected now by the peace that we have through him. And that is what helps us stand when the enemy comes circling in. Because inevitably, all of us will face the enemy at some point. He might try to unsettle us and unnerve us, but we can now stand. We have this ultimate peace, this ultimate reassurance. Our king has already defeated a merciless foe. Let me give you an example. Ian Botham was a larger-than-life cricketer who single-handedly demolished the Australians on a number of occasions, but especially in 1981. Botham's strengths were that he was a batter and a bowler and also quite a remarkable fielder. He could do anything, it seemed. But after he retired, another tried to take his place, and then another, and then another. And one of those was a guy called David Capel, who sadly died last week. David Capel was an excellent cricketer in his own right. And in the obituaries written about David Capel over the last few days, every single journalist wrote this. He just wasn't able to fill Botham's shoes. It's quite sad because he was a great cricketer, but because Botham was this larger-than-life character, he just couldn't fill. And no one has been able to fill those shoes maybe until a recent day. But there is something to rejoice in for us as Christians in this. Because within these verses, remember what we've just been learning as a memory verse. This is the full armor of God. Our God is not asking us to be so full of faith and so full of peace and work it all out by ourselves. All the pieces of armor that we are to put on come from Him. These pieces of equipment are his to give and for us to wear. And in this case, we get to literally stand in the shoes of Jesus. That might sound scandalous, but that's what Paul is telling us here. Because as Ephesians has unfolded, we have read so many times, we are in Christ Jesus. If we're believers, we are in Christ. We stand in his shoes, we're united to the Son of God by faith and drawn into His divine family, a soldier in his army. And as we step out in peace with God in this child-father relationship with him, all through the Savior. Boys and girls who here today, hands up who's got a PE bag at school. Who's got a PE bag at school, right? Do you have any, what do you call them? Do you call them gutties or trainers? What do you call them? I used to call them gutties, plimsolls. You know what I'm talking about? The shoes you wear for PE? Is your name on it anywhere? I bet it is. I bet you the first thing mum and dad did, as soon as they got it, to make sure those weren't lost at school was write your name somewhere, on all, even on blazers and all sorts, of, the name written on the back. I say this lovingly and reverently today, but I believe it to be true. If you're a Christian here today, if I were to lift you up and look at your feet, your feet have the name Jesus on it. That's who you belong to. That's who you belong to. If you're trusting in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, you belong to Him. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that beautiful? It's true. You're a Christian this morning. And that helps us stand. It helps me stand when things are difficult. It helps you stand when things are hard. It helps us stand whenever the life just takes a turn for the worst. We can stand. Because underneath, we're assured, we're rooted in His love. It doesn't end there. Look at verse 15. Paul speaks about our readiness, our readiness that makes us mobile, our readiness that makes us mobile. These feet help us move. In the Greek and Roman world, the watchmen in the cities had a very special role, didn't they? The Old Testament telling them the watchmen in the city were to stand guard and look out and, and watch and see and get the information that was coming back. And if they saw a runner coming, they would very quickly know if this runner coming back into the city was bringing them good news or bad news. If it was good news, the runner would be running like mad and the dust would be going everywhere. And he would come in excited and exhausted. We've won. We've won the battle. The battle from the front of one good news. But the same boy, if they had been defeated, well, you can just see him trudging over the horizon, dragging his feet, because no one wants to come bringing bad news. One messenger is hurtling over the horizon to tell everyone in sight, the other is so slow because they've been defeated. And his body language even shows that. Isaiah 52, verse 7, and words that we've often sung in this place before, How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. Who proclaim peace. That's what's being said here. Who bring good tidings of salvation. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. You see, not only are we to cover our feet with the gospel of peace each day, but we are to be the most mobile people in our world and in our community saying that our God reigns. For we have a gospel to share. We are messengers with a message of peace that has been achieved for mankind with God through our Lord Jesus. And it leaves me to ask one big question today, doesn't it? How mobile have you been when it comes to declaring your faith in Jesus Christ? Because how will your friends, how will your family, how will your colleagues hear, how will the Akdam people of the Yemen hear if we do not tell them? Immediately you think, oh, well, that's for someone. No, it's for you, it's for me. But maybe sadly we end up just mooching around like we're defeated. Some of us are just mooching around church today and we're here, but I'm here because I just kind of feel a had to be, you know. And our whole body language, our whole attitude says the world we're defeated. Oh, the world's in a terrible state. That's the first thing we'll say to everyone we'll meet. Oh, this government's making an awful mess. Ma- oh, my life is so hard at the moment. Oh, all of which may or may not be true. But are we not then using more about lockdown and conspiracies and complaining and agitating, or are we known as the most mobile, excited, animated, active, involved messengers of hope in our community? Are you a good user? For if news that we are at peace with God eternally through our Lord Jesus Christ is not the best news we have, then we must search our hearts to truly discover the gods that we serve. Let's strap on these shoes that give us a firm place to stand and an ability to run with the wonderfully good news of peace. Secondly, and more briefly, we've got the shield of faith, which is a protection over us, for everything the enemy would throw at us. The shield of faith is a protection over us from everything the enemy would throw at us. Paul urges us to take up this shield of faith. This is something we are not to miss. It actually says you've actually got to actively take it up. You can't just presume upon it. You've actually got to lift it each day. Take up the shield of faith. And it wasn't one of those small circular ones that was used to -to hand-to-hand combat. It would have been one of these four to six feet, you know, door-type jobs, you know, two feet across, four feet up, that they'd have held. And it was big, just like described in the picture there on screen. Two huge pieces of wood, nailed together, covered in leather, then dipped in water before heading out, so that whenever the flaming darts came over from the evil one, or from the enemy in their case, it would just go, it'd go out, because it was soaked in the water. And the Roman army would not have sent individuals out with a shield for their own protection. As you'll see, they only gave them these shields of faith to go out together. They formed a protective unit, which joined together, gave them almost like a tank-like quality. In olden days, they were covered above and at the sides, in front and at the back. It was known as a phalanx. One beside you, another behind you, another in front of you. And in a sense, it's the fellowship of these verses. It's the coming together, fighting as one, defending as one, as we know that we will face the enemy. This interlocking protection for one another was absolutely essential. If one of those guys decided not to join, well, the whole regiment was done for. You know, if one of those guys in the front row wasn't there, they would take them out easily. Every one of them was needed. They face the enemy together as one. And I have seen all too often those who thought they could go it alone in their Christian lives, I have seen far too often in churches an individual or certain families who didn't want to mingle and engage and commit to one another in the local church, who only thought about themselves and their own little bubble. Those who thought we're strong enough, faithful enough, brave enough, experienced enough, we can do this on our own. Let me tell you, you can't. You cannot. We can face the devil and the enemies and evil one's schemes, but we can only do it when we're part of a body, a unit. I have seen far too often those who thought they were strong get picked off one by one, family by family, and end up just straggling and going nowhere because they'd cut themselves off from the fighting family unit of faith. This is where the phalanx of the church comes in needing to be open to others about our strengths, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, and our feelings, knowing that even if we don't say it, we have people around us who are walking the same path, standing with us together in our fight. If we are not interlinked and interlocked in the battle, we will fall ourselves. But worse than that, we will also fail everyone else. Let me ask a couple of questions. You know, the last few Sunday nights... We haven't been able to meet together, and it's going to be a while before we do, but we've been putting up those sermons on the Sunday night. We've been encouraging people to meet up with someone from church to encourage them. Who have you encouraged by doing that recently? Who have you met up with to talk about your faith? And you say, well, 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 it doesn't suit me. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about who you blessing. Because there's others out there who need that. We need to form that phalanx because we cannot do battle alone. And see, so not only is it a shield that covers a unit, but it's a shield of faith. This is a close we get to this chapter to describing that fellow Christian fellowship was gathering around with one purpose in mind, to be united and established and built up in our most holy faith. We need to be walking together because what if one of our fellow Christians is hit by a fiery dart? Who is going to reach out and roll them over and dice the flames if you do it alone? Who is going to help them stamp out the danger if you choose to go it alone? And then what do these fiery darts look like? Well, our enemy knows that when we have been sick or tired, we're more vulnerable. He'll play in that, and he'll dissuade us from the need to read our Bibles and pray. He knows that some of us have struggled with doubts in the past and anxious thoughts, and that'll lead us to to being challenged more by the evil one in our faith. He often hurls at us the accusations of the past, the, the sins we've committed, asking, how could you call yourself a Christian after what I know you've done? Oh, the evil one's an expert at all of that. He will come at us with words that sting us. He'll come at us with words that get us jealous of others. He'll come at us to stir up a dislike of something in church that becomes an excuse for us to back off or disengage with fellowship. He's an expert at drawing out hurts from the past and niggles in the present. He's an absolute expert in it. I guarantee, whether it be the families here today or folks sitting at home, one of the hardest times to get people up and out is on a Sunday morning to church. That will inevitably be the day when there's a sudden tummy ache or a headache or a crisis around the farm or someone's lost the car keys or the kids threw a temper tantrum or the husband and wife have words before they go out the door or you were out late last night and the easiest thing would be to skip church today. He hates you being here. He hates you listening at home. Every time you decide not to come, the devil has won another victory and You become weaker. He throws darts at us, hoping if one catches a light, that the distraction will spread across our fellowship and that will have been worthless. And so together, together we must shield under the faith that's been given to us, the faith that's been outlined for us remarkably in the chapters 1 to 3, a faith that extinguishes the darts, faith in a God who chose us to be holy, who made us his sons, who did it freely without cost on our behalf has loved us since the world began, redeemed us by his blood, sins forgiven, sharing not just in Christ's sacrifice, but his righteousness also. We have a glorious inheritance. That's our faith. That's our protection. That's our covering. Not that our faith is strong, because our faith is not. But what have we been learning? Be strong in the Lord. And his mighty power. He's not telling us, have big faith. He's telling us, have faith in me. When doubts come, look to Jesus. He's done it all. We have nothing more we need to add. When discouragement comes, look to Jesus. Am I good enough? Am I brave enough? We need to remind ourselves: Jesus paid it all. Every sin's atoned for. All our guilt issues dealt with. When frustration comes and whistles are not expected like a dart, look to Jesus. As the steady rain of missiles from the evil one comes in, we stand under the covering of Christ. And if we stay under that shield of faith, we will be secure forever, because He Himself is that shield. How do I you know? Because Psalm 18 tells me. Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold. You see, the enemy darts that sought to bring Jesus down were ultimately defeated. The cross, when he thought it would won, proved to be our greatest help. The grave, the devil danced, the jigged, glee to think that Jesus was no more dead in a grave. proved to be the place from which death was defeated and heaven opened up for people like you and me. Whatever comes hurtling at us, we can say confidently, not boastfully, but confidently, by faith, I am not just with him. I am in him. Jesus has me covered. Friends, I hope you're a believer today because eternity will be awful without the knowledge of the covering of Jesus. You're hopeless without the covering of Jesus. You have no good news without the covering of Jesus. So friends, get your gospel shoes on, and only in wearing those gospel shoes will you be able to stand and reach for that shield of faith and hide away in the love of and under the shelter of the salvation of our Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that we can stand in your shoes because you have told us to put on the armor of God that you have provided, that is your gift to us, and that today we can say that we are covered by Christ We're at peace with God. We stand in this good news and we have reason for rejoicing. And this is news for sharing. Oh Lord, forgive us for our slowness. Rebuke us for holding on when we should have been sharing out. Forgive us for missed opportunities when we've stood in our own strength or thought we could go it alone, but rather we should have received your strength and reached out in your grace. Lord, make us a messenger, people. Not left to the so-called experts, but may we be mobile, sharing your peace that can only come through our Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you for this wonderful shield-covering of faith. We thank you that you describe yourself as the shield, our stronghold, our rock, the one on which we stand. And Father, we thank you for the fellowship and unity and protection that we can all shelter under. Lord, remind us afresh fresh day. we do not need to go it alone, but rather if we need to reconnect or re-engage, may we rediscover the joy that there is in being united not just with Christ, but with your people. Teach us what true communion is, at one with you and one with each other. Thank you for this fellowship that we can share in here in Union Road. And Father, despite the fact that we can only gather grouping by grouping at this time, may you give us by your Spirit a remarkable unity in all we're seeking to do. And may it all be because we stand secure and shelter under a wonderful Savior in whose name we pray.